0: Good morning. It is. Mm-hmm. Is Wednesday. Wednesday.
2: <laughs> <Thank> you,
0: <Paul>. <laughs> Not <laughs> Wednesday. a problem. You know, I almost always put that at the very top of my sheet, and today I didn't type it in. I and put so it at the top of the sheet. No, I I see it there now. I know you're a good man, <laughs> Paul Perot, the good man of the show, has dutifully inserted Wednesday, eleven sixteen twenty-two at the top of my notes for the day. Thank you, Paul. No it is Wednesday, the 16th of November, 2022, which means that a week from today, we should be thinking about at least what we're going to be serving on Thursday, the 17th or well, whatever Thursday is next week. <clears throat> 24th, know, I'm, like, I'm not good at math. Yeah. 24th. Thanksgiving is coming. That is the big announcement on this Wednesday. <clears throat> Thanksgiving is coming. Hopefully. I mean, I, it's probably too late for the goose to get fat. So it's the goose is probably already processed and in a package somewhere. It's probably time, though, to start thinking about getting that turkey. You know, It takes several days for one of those dudes to thaw out. So today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day, 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. Do not waste time. Oh, no. See, that's not a good way to start a verse when I've probably just wasted a minute talking about irrelevant things. Okay. Today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day, 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. So, this, uh, this entire correspondence um, between Paul and Timothy, it's really all from Paul to Timothy, um, is training. Like that is what Paul is doing. Paul is training Timothy. Uh, and, and here he says, don't just be trained but train yourself to be godly. There is a responsibility here for the training of the self in godliness. That's a an interesting part of this verse. So what does it mean to become godly? What would that look like? What changes would that require? I mean, training means we are um, actually bringing something into conformity with something else. We are training um. A dog on a leash. We are training ourselves to dribble a basketball. We are right, training things that come with practice and diligence that we don't just automatically know how to do. They aren't first nature, but they can become second nature if we practice them enough. That's training. So to become godly um, requires like a change of our mind, no longer conformed to this world, but actively and continually transformed by the renewing of your mind. How does that happen? Well, through the reading and apprehending of the Word of God. Um, a change of spirit, like right? To be godly and to be trained in godliness would be to train uh, our spirit to operate in the opposite spirit, not in the ways of the world, but in the character and ways of God. Change of perspective, no longer regarding others from a worldly point of view, as we once did, but um, instead from a godly an eternal point of view, change of direction, literally like a change of allegiance, a change of the things that we pursue, a change of our priorities, living no longer to the self but for by and in Christ and the advancement of his kingdom purposes. I mean, those would be some training in godliness. Th- those would be some things that we would do to train ourselves in godliness. Um and uh if you want to look for where Paul more fully unpacks this for Timothy, you would look at chapter six. First Timothy six says, these are the things you are to teach and insist upon. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to this sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, well, they're conceited. They just are not people of understanding. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to some kind of financial gain but godliness with contentment is actually great gain this is paul again to timothy in chapter 6 of the same same letter for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it but if we have food and clothing then we should be content with that those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, pursue godliness, pursue faith, pursue love, pursue endurance, pursue gentleness. How are you and I going to pursue godliness today, train ourselves in godliness. 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. Today's growing your faith verses of the day. Jeff Bil- Jeff Bilbrow is going to join us next. We're going to talk about um, sins that are common to us all. Are there some sins that, you know, frankly, we've become friends with? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Jeff Bilbrough uh, joins us again today. He's a professor at Grove City College. Uh, He also posts at FrontPorchRepublic.com, something called The Water Dipper. He also writes in other places as well. So we're going to look at something that Jeff has posted at Plough, P-L-O-U-G-H, and it's called Media-Friendly Sins of Other People. And it is a look at Wendell Berry's new book, The Need to Be Whole, Patriotism and the History of Prejudice. Jeff, welcome back.
2: Thanks, Karen. It's good to be back with you today.
0: Yeah, so um under underneath what um Wendell Berry is laying out, it sounds like uh we have a distorted understanding or view of sin, and that has then led us down sort of our current path of personal and political destruction.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean uh I think one of the things that very, it's a big book, it's almost 500 pages long, but in this essay, I just focused on this one section that's kind of core to the whole argument. And one of the, one of the points he makes is that, our, you know, in a culture that lacks Orthodox Christian accounts of sin, we still talk about, you know, there's still a, a clear sense of morality that uh, pervades our culture, obviously. But what happens is certain uh wrongs become uh, unforgivable and public. And we denounce those people who uh, commit them. And there's not really necessarily a path for repentance and uh, forgiveness and reconciliation. And we can lose sight of the fact that even if we have uh, fortunately avoided one of those um, unforgivable sins, we are all uh, human and we all uh, our, our sinners ourselves, and I think uh, you know a Christian account of sin, where we confess our sins uh, regularly uh, with one another, is really crucial to recover this sense that uh, sin is common, a common part of our condition as human persons, and uh, should should humble us as we relate to people who sin in ways that uh, we don't.
0: So. I think this only works if everybody in the conversation is operating out of a worldview um, that recognizes that hum- human beings are not the pinnacle of everything. Right. Like, we might be the pinnacle of God's good creation, but there is a God above us who has authority over us. Um, right. Otherwise, right? I mean, we just get to the this place where, the strongest, the loudest, the the most popular in the moment is the person wielding this power to condemn others. I mean, that's, that's what it feels like in the culture. A godless people have made of themselves gods and therefore get to define what sin looks like for everybody else.
2: Yeah, that's right. And I think even Christians can so easily get caught up in that um, kind of hierarchy and that system of morality because it's so loud and prevalent and powerful uh and it's it's hard to resist that it's hard to you know even among christian groups uh people can say well you know these are the sins that count and if you commit those Mm. you're ostracized uh but as long as you don't commit those you can commit other ones and we don't care
0: (laughs) so you bring to mind like the uh um well i won't make the list <clears throat> i bet yeah. everybody could just made a list in their mind i bet yeah. everybody just made a list in their mind of of organizations or groups where some sins have been regarded as forgivable or now even celebrated and right. other sins um either remain unforgivable or um you know or they stand out and, and in fact may not historically have been seen as sins at all may have historically right. been seen as virtues Um, like that, that is, it is a complicated mess. I mean, I think it's fair to say it's a complicated mess out there.
2: Yeah. yeah. Because it's a
0: complicated mess in here,
2: right? Right. That's exactly right. Yeah. And I think, you know, Barry is just, uh, he spends a lot of time talking about the 10 commandments and then Christ's, um, updates on those and the Sermon on the Mount. And I think we just have to, as Christians, uh, as much as we can uh, talk to ourselves and re- root ourselves in a Christian account of sin, because uh, otherwise, without even realizing it, we'll get caught up in um, these kind of cultural, uh, m- moral barriers that that allow us to feel good about ourselves and to condemn people who, um, yeah, who err in ways that we think are unforgivable.
0: This um, idea is not, uh, does not, start with me, but I can't give credit where credit is due because I can't remember who I heard talking about it. So I'm just going to give that kind yeah. of credit. Um, but what I heard, that, this was the observation, you know, where we literally, not just as as Christians or people of, of faith received over generations that starts with the Jews, we're not the only ones that used to write things literally in stone. Okay, so things were once written in stone, and then they were written on, I mean, eventually paper, but at least that was a physical thing. And then uh, just in bits and bytes. And I would, I guess, add add to all of that conversation, um, it doesn't really matter when over the course of human history you have lived, when things were written in stone or written on paper or papyrus or um, or eventually in bits and bytes. There is something written on the human heart. And that is really the root of this conversation is what is written on your heart, what's engraved in your heart um, because it, from there, everything else emanates
2: yeah yeah and and that's the, also the eschatological promise, right that one day mm-hmm. we won't need the written law because uh, we'll have received in our hearts god's law, but uh, at this point it's hard to always uh, trust our hearts because it can be they can be deceitful. <laughs>
0: Chief chief among all of our yeah. organs. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right, Jeff, what a delight. Let's uh, continue this conversation in just a moment. Jeff's going to um, tell us whether or not it's time for a new American dream. We're going to talk about uh, an essay by John Miller. Is it time for a new American dream? What are you dreaming today? Is it time for a new dream? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks so much for listening
2: to Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Hey, I'm Suzy Larson. Hey, if you enjoy what you're listening to here, would you consider subscribing to other great Faith Radio podcasts like mine? Search Suzy Larson Live at MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: Hit subscribe and have a great day.
2: So fill your plate and fill your dream. And
1: fill this house with family The kind of love that all these years can't wash away
0: All right. If you were to survey a bunch of people on the streets uh, in the community where you live and you just ask them to describe for you um, the American dream, what do they see um, in in their future? What do they hope for? John Miller um, talked to a variety of people in Milwaukee and asked them how they imagine the American dream. Jeff Bilbro is here to talk with us about what John Miller discovered. Is it time for a new American dream, Jeff?
2: Yeah, I thought this, John is such an interesting journalist. He has this great documentary about Moundsville, West Virginia, and uh, he does a nice job kind of, I think, articulating the tensions within these uh, communities and helping us understand them. And his project in Milwaukee seems interesting in that same regard. uh, To think about how the vision of the American dream might be shifting, Um, maybe it's no longer uh, to have a stable factory job for 40 years. But um, but some of the people in he interviews have this, I think, more promising notion of uh, what, what would it m- mean if we can participate in a healthy community and if we have uh, local economies that are vibrant. And uh, he, as what he puts it, he says there are signs that younger generations of America dream of building community as much as they do of getting rich. Or, or they dream of being self-sufficient so they can support their friends and live in community. And I think that, that hunger, I see that among my college students, that they want to um, find vibrant communities to raise families uh, within and be supported by. Uh, I think that's a particularly poignant dream right now with the kind of loneliness that a lot of people feel. And uh, I think it's one that uh, we can encourage and be, be encouraged by.
0: So if there's any home builders listening right now, I think you should take note. Because like, I I think that, you know, if we're going to have fewer and fewer people having kids and fewer and fewer people getting married and yet a growing uh, percentage of the population desiring to live in community with their friends, then we're going to need houses that don't have like one master bedroom suite and a bunch of little bedrooms, but houses that have several, like, master suites around some kind of communal living area. Like I'm just saying, like, I mean, like the way we have thought about suburban America, let's say, you know, which is this traditional part of the American dream or a part of the traditional American dream, like that's going to be different in the future. If, um, if these dreams that millennials are now dreaming and Gen Z is now dreaming, um, can come to fruition.
2: Yeah, that's a good point, that maybe the suburban uh, sprawl that was a result of the pressure of a a previous iteration of the American dream is part of what uh, has led to us feeling disconnected from our neighbors. We all have our, our back patios and our automatic garage door openers, so we don't have to ever see our neighbors. And maybe we need to think about other ways of building our towns that would foster either, yeah, what you're talking about in terms of actual life living together, but at least um, more walkable and uh, closer communities so that we can we can foster these kinds of relationships that we need.
0: Yeah, we do. We need them desperately. Um, I, I found another piece um, on the Water Dipper that I was very, very intrigued by. And let me just remind everybody, you can go to jeffbilbro.com and connect there with Jeff. You can go to Uh, and click on The Water Dipper. You can also find these links in today's show notes wherever you download the podcast for Mornings with Carmen. Talk with us about grieving a childhood friend. Mm. This is an essay by Patrick Brown. Um, He talks about different kinds of grief because there's different kinds of death.
2: Yeah, this is a moving essay for me in part because uh, I was in the same homeschool co-op group with Patrick that uh, he and his friend were he, he and his friend were a little bit younger than mm-hmm. me so I didn't know Tim very well. Um, but I could definitely resonate with the account he has of growing up with this other you know homeschooling boy, sharing uh, sports interests, book interests, intellectual interests, um, you know, developing a relationship that uh, continued on past college uh and then uh watching his friend suddenly and unexpectedly uh get sick and die and it's um uh, watching someone's life get cut short like that when they've they have a family and a, uh, a wife and kids and um it's there is there a particular uh kind of grief there that is different and i think patrick's right different from either someone who has lived a well lived life uh and it's dying at the end of that or also even um you know he talks about the uh, a loss through miscarriage which is its own horrible kind of grief um and i think just trying to articulate and recon- recognize these different dimensions of grief can maybe be helpful in um in sitting with them and hopefully um dealing with them well
0: one of the things i appreciate um about just having the opportunity to talk about it. Like part of this is a willingness to just bring to the fore, um, conversations about grief, about people we've lost, about the losses we do experience. Um, and they are different. And I, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to hold mine out into conversation and I'm going to hope that nobody says, well, I know exactly how you feel because nobody knows exactly how you feel. Um, and and grief is real and it, it returns in waves. My sweet husband Jim just spent this last weekend on this annual uh it's it's their annual fall classic. It's when, you know, a bunch of guys go to a place together and and bow hunt. And um uh this year, um, you know, his brother wasn't there. This would be the second year that that, that was true, but it was somehow more acute even this year than it was last year that Joe wasn't there and Um, And Danny wasn't there. Danny, one of Jim's dear, dear friends whose life was cut short when a neighbor shot him in his driveway. Like people experience losses that um, that then return in in particular moments in time. Um, And as we approach the holidays, you know, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to have an empty chair at their table um, or who's, uh, you know, who have lost the last person with whom they shared a holiday and it's going to feel empty and there's going to be grief. And we as Christians need to be attending to that in one another's lives. We need to be, you know, we need to be saying, Hey, I, um, you know, what's the grief that's come around again this year for you? Because they do come around. It's not, it's not as if we're done with it and we move on. Um, the, that grief returns because that person was deeply loved and an integral part of our life.
2: Yeah, I think that's so right, Carmen. I, I appreciate what you say about how uh, sometimes the well-meaning phrase, you know, I know how you feel, just uh, is not true. And um, we need to have conversations and support one another without always um, kind of reverting to those easy um, cliches that that can, maybe often unintentionally, but can uh, minimize or generalize that kind of unpredictable and personal uh intimate experience of grief Hmm.
0: we love talking with you thank you so much um i'll wish you a happy thanksgiving because we won't talk again until after thanksgiving but um so appreciate um the way that you aggregate good things for us to be reading on the water dipper at front porch republic and the things you're writing as well so thank you so much jeff
2: thank you carmen and yes happy Uh, thanksgiving to you as well
0: Thank you. You can find Jeff Bilbro at jeffbilbro.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. Let's take a moment to go upwards with Max Lucado.
1: All
0: right, just when some of you are like rolling your eyes at me and like Carmen is talking about stuff that nobody is uh nobody's thinking like this oh contraire everybody on the text line is already like i mean talia's like yeah i want a place like that i mean i want to live in community with other people and you know we might need a little separate kitchenettes so that we don't have to cook together all the time and mary says you know yeah she's got a daughter um who just started talking about this kind of thing like to build and live in a house um you know with with other people in community um you know these are These are conversations that are actually having, and we're bringing them to the fore right here. So there you go. Okay, now some sobering news um, from halfway around the world. The Defense Department is investigating reports that Russian missiles crossed into NATO member Poland, killing two people. Okay, now let me just say this. We don't know everything yet in relationship to this story. The Russians have denied that it was their missile. Um, there was obviously active aerial warfare going on at the time as the Ukrainians are continually seeking to shoot down missiles that the Russians are shooting at them. And so, you know, what what exactly entered into uh, the nation of Poland, crossed the border and killed two individuals in a rural community? We don't yet know. But accidents like this have started wars in the past. In 1859, there was the pig war. I know you're not up to speed on the pig war. I wasn't either, but I looked it up. Um, and, uh, well, maybe it was an almost war and maybe that's why we don't know a lot about it. And it was actually between the United States and the UK. An American farmer shot an Irishman's pig that was rummaging around in his garden on a contested Island in Puget Sound. Both countries Both countries dispatched troops to the area. The conflict ultimately avoided and the ambiguous borders finally resolved by the building of a wall. Yeah, a wall around a farm. There you go. I'm just saying like, uh, stranger things have happened in the past. You may remember the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand by a Serbian um, anarchist in 1914. And that is the event that was, that is credited with really starting World War I. Um, Now, an assassination might just be a convenient excuse for nationalists who were already set on going to war, but you get the point. So let's be people who um, do not respond um, in panic or in haste. Um, Let's let the facts come out, and then uh, NATO is going to be meeting Um, because Poland has said, hey, this makes us nervous and concerned. And so Article 4 is what is being um, uh, called upon right now, which is we feel threatened. Article 5 is uh, war has been waged against us and all our NATO allies need to come uh, and join us in the fight. Uh, Article 4 is designed to reduce tensions. Article 5 is uh, full-blown world war. So, Uh, let's be praying ardently on this front today. Joining us next, Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. We're going to talk about things going on in Iran, Kenya, and yes, Ukraine. All of that up next here on Mornings with Carmen. To boldly go where no one has gone before. Joining us now, Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. You can find all the stories and so much more that we're going to talk about today at missionnews.org. Ruth, welcome back. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. Well, I, I am well. Uh, my my mind is now trying to conceive of communal living designs where, um, you know, lots of people could live together in community, but not like in separate apartments, but somehow, I, I know, there you go. That that. There you go. You wondered what I was thinking about. That is what's on my mind because we started talking about it earlier on the show and now my mind is completely
1: consumed with the thought. Well, one of my staff writers actually has uh, also been following along that uh, that line of thinking. He bought a house with two other families and they're living together in this house that they've all renovated. They take turns with farm chores and things like that. Um, young people. These are all uh, families under 30 years old.
0: Okay, we want we okay. we want more information about him. We want to talk. We want to have a conversation with him at some point. Can you hook us up with that? Because that sounds fascinating. I will see what I can do. You're so good. You're so good. All right, Ruth, um, you've got so much um, right now at Mission News that we want to talk about. Um, Let's start with Ukraine. God is working there despite uh, the ongoing war.
1: You know, I think that's what was really uh, the thing to keep in mind is that God is working through some of the worst circumstances in the world as we keep on seeing these headlines that seem like we're we're not making any headway, that more attacks are happening while people are trying to talk about peace. and uh, and a country is struggling to maintain. Uh, infrastructure for for its citizens um we're we're just seeing that there are a lot of people who are saying yes this is happening and it's awful and it's terrible and people are suffering but God is working um you know we we were able to share a little bit of the story of uh one of the gospel workers from Operation Mobilization um who has made his home in Ukraine for 28 years so you know he's he's an expat but he's he's in uh in Ukraine has been living and working there raising his family there and has invested heavily in the country, and it it breaks his heart to see what is happening right now in the country. However, he says um, they've seen new and vibrant churches that were planted over the last eight years in uh, the, some of the most war-affected communities in uh, the furthermost eastern regions. They've been war zones for so long now, I think people have forgotten that that there was already an ongoing engaged war between Russia and Ukraine on the border areas before russia's invasion um so this has been an ongoing situation there but the om workers and ukrainian christians are ministering to people in need they are opening their churches they are um, trying to meet the physical needs in the name of christ which opens a lot of doors there's a lot of familiarity with christian ideology with christian language and vocabulary and uh, iconography but people don't have necessarily that personal relationship with Jesus. So when people are coming to them in a time of crisis and they don't want anything, they just want to meet needs and they want to be the shoulder to cry on and to listen to the stories and to share the burden, people want to know why. And because uh, it, it's an unusual kind of a, a response to situations when when you're really looking at self-preservation, Um Selflessness. In this situation opens a lot of doors so um, you know this this guy his name is Wayne Uh, he's he shares a lot of prayer requests with us that I think are um, pretty much regardless of what the headlines are will be applicable he says pray the war would end and that justice and righteousness would prevail pray leaders in Ukraine and around the world will act with godly wisdom and selflessness as they make decisions and pray that people might come together in a in a mighty way and find their refuge and strength in the Lord.
0: Amen. Amen. Um, you have another story for us um, out of Ukraine as well. Just some updates in terms of the process as, as Ukraine um, retook the city of Kherson. Um, what are some things that we're learning about the experience of the people there um, while Russia was, uh, was in control?
1: They're asking hard questions um mm-hmm. they're asking questions about how to um come back to a new normal um talking about issues where families have been separated because of the war um where Ukrainian kids have been uh, placed in foster homes or in orphanages in Russia. How are we, you know what's the plan to reunite families and there's really no answer uh because the 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 names and faces are so many and so ill-documented uh, that um, it's going to be a, a really tough uh, next step to be able to to kind of bring everybody back together, reunite folks. Um, SGA, Slava Gospel Association, has a lot of um, work and investment in Ukraine and Russia. They're not necessarily going to be taking this particular situation head on. However, because of the initiatives that they do have in place, they may be able to utilize the networks of people that uh, they are working with to not only meet some of these physical needs, but also share information to try to find out, you know, what they can to um, uh, address one of the other emergencies that are that is beginning to uh, emerge and that is getting these families reunited. Um, the SGA initiative is specifically Heat and Hope, it's dealing with heating, uh, providing heating, blankets, and food to people who have lost their homes, who are just basically hiding out in their basements. Um, with the ongoing drones and missile strikes, uh, folks are really afraid to to leave their uh, basic subterranean shelters. And so they're bracing for what's going to be a very difficult winter. SGA is working through 240 local churches in the embattled regions to try to meet some of these needs. And as they talk to people, as they are able to move around and, and get in and talk to um, uh, the church leaders and, and share information, um, we're praying that something else will come from this and finding out where some of these uh, separated families are actually located. And so be praying into that. It's a it's a difficult situation. Um, we saw the, the logistical nightmare that reuniting families uh, becomes when we saw our own situation in, uh, in, in South and Central America with the the border issues. Um, so you know a little bit about what this is going to be like. And this is another situation that we're seeing on top of a war.
0: Mm. Yeah, I, 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 the images and stories coming out of Ukraine are Um, are so heartbreaking, but they're not the only ones that are heartbreaking around the world. So when we come back from a very brief break, Ruth is going to help us see and describe for us what's now happening in Iran. We began um, talking about this several weeks ago in terms of the protests, and we've been acknowledging that over these months of protests, thousands of people have been arrested, and there is now action, um, not only by the parliament, but by courts in Iran, Um, against those protesters. So we're going to get an update on that next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We're talking with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. You can find what we're talking about at missionnews.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Continuing our conversation with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. Ruth, let's turn our attention to Iran. Talk with us about the developments there over, well, really, the past week.
1: Yeah, you know, I think... Maybe some people uh, are not surprised, but for me, when I saw the headline uh, indicating the Iranian parliament voted in favor of the death penalty uh, to punish people who've been arrested in the national protests, I was really surprised that they would go that far because you're talking like 15,000 people that have been arrested. Um, And a measure like this means that they're planning on massive... um, Executions, you know. Uh, it would, I guess I was kind of thinking that at this stage of the game, somebody would step up and say, you know, you really can't do that. The world stage would, st- you know, respond to that, and uh, and Iran would find a way to. Uh, exert its influence and control over the people, but still find a way to save face and back down from something like this. And I'm not really sure that that's going to be the situation. The Iranian courts have just issued the first death sentence linked to the protests. So it looks like they're going to um, go forward with their plan. They convicted this person of uh, enmity against God and spreading corruption on earth because of his participation in the protests. Um, So Again, the Iran revolutionary court uh, has issued the sentence and um I'm not really sure when this is going to be carried out, but it's the first of many uh that they're expected to to begin issuing um this is a situation where uh Iran's young people uh, are are really angry. They're full of despair because of what is happening with the government. And I'm going to throw this in here because while we want to talk about um, how Iran is targeting the children of uh, of its own country uh, in some of these arrests and, and really not sparing anyone of any age uh, in their crackdowns, um, ministries have found ways to speak into this. And they're really ramping up some of the responses that they have. So Keys for Kids has uh, a devotional that they're trying to get translated into Farsi. Everything's in place except the funding. So they're just going to go ahead right now and move that into uh, into production so that they can get some of these devotionals ready quickly and get them into the hands of the young people who are desperately searching for anything else that is not what the government says is important, uh, and a lot of people are turning towards Christianity. They're finding ways to to get that information. You know, so they're the satellite up uh, the satellite television uh, programs that are coming through Sat Seven Pars. Uh, you know, they're making their way into people's homes, and um, people are coming to Christ. Heart for Iran, Mohabbat TV, Keys for Kids is again working in the production stage. International Media Ministries is finishing up the filming of the dramatization story of Esther. So you look at what Esther is about, Mm. and it's a really key time to have a story like that being made available um, uh, to the Iranian people, especially women, because Esther rises up to stand in the gap uh, when there's a threat of killing her, her people off. Um, that was the Persian Empire. So again, there's another connection there. There's some familiarity there. And the question is, who's going to stand up this time? Who will stand in the gap? Um, it's a it's a well-timed story. And so mm-hmm. we're just praying that this, alongside this ministry, that they're going to be able to finish this up quickly and get it out into people's hands, because this is going to be something where people will respond. When they, they try to ask that question uh, uh, for themselves, they don't have that hope. But that's what international media and ministries does. It introduces that story and says, "Here's what you're looking for. This is the hope that we find in Jesus Christ." So be praying for that that it, it actually gets out. Um, there are so many hard headlines that are coming out because you're seeing the average age of protesters now is 15 years old. So the the uh, Iranian government is cracking down on schools, they're arresting minors, they're beating other ones. There there have been uh, victims of um uh, the protest crackdowns who happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time and we're talking like two-year-olds uh mm. toddlers that are with parents or siblings trying to come back and forth from school and they're just getting caught in the crossfire um And there's no apology. There's no uh, standout at all from the government, which is making people even angrier at this stage. Um, Parents are being warned to keep their kids out of the protests. Security forces are actually entering the schools now and demanding to see security footage. So it's one of these situations that just continues to unravel. The harder, uh, the the harder the response from the government, the angrier the people are getting, and um and they're asking us to join them in prayer. I mean, the believers in Iran. Um, are part of the fastest growing body in the world, but also they are among the most isolated believers. So there's a lot of these new believers who don't know that there are other Christians in Iran. And once you get them together and they start coming together and walking their faith, they're vibrant. And it's hard to to dim their light because of how um, they're seeing God moving in their midst. Um, this is a situation where it's it's hard not to get excited about what God is doing, and you want to you want to catch that sense of urgency that these ministries like IMM and Keys for Kids have about getting this information and the resources they're trying to put together into the hands of the the people who are desperately seeking. Um, so be praying about that. If you are empowered to do something about it, we've got the links at our website. I'm just going to say go there, find the thing, and um, Mm -hmm. ask God, you know, what your next step is going to be.
0: Yeah. I want to take a couple of minutes, the couple of minutes we have left, to talk about what's going on in Kenya. Um, The water under Kenya is sufficient. The water falling from the sky, um, you know, has not fallen for four consecutive seasons, and there's obviously... uh, skyrocketing um, numbers in terms of not only hunger, but now famine. Um, Talk with us about uh, drilling bore wells um, and Kenya Hope.
1: Kenya Hope has been dealing with a lot of the water crisis uh, since the first rainy season failed. Um, and, and now you're talking starvation threatening millions of people in mm-hmm. East Africa. Um, so the timing couldn't be better for Kenya Hope to be looking at uh, bore wells or uh, bore holes, I should say. Um, and, and it allows the, um, the churches that connect to the project to be able uh, to have kind of a stage on which to share what the message that they have for people uh, is and that would you know it's it's not like a you have to listen to the gospel before we give you water. it's we are the hands and feet of Christ, come with us, take the water, um you know join with the celebration. we're all part of the same community. And when people say, why are you sharing this? You could be making a lot of money. You could just, you know, this is your resource. You don't have to share this. Uh, the, the churches, the church partners have that opportunity to say, because we are representatives of the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, let me tell you who Christ is. And so it becomes a a ministry that combines the clean water with the living water. And um, it it actually changes communities. We've seen this happen in other communities as well, where water is the building block of the community. From there, you see schools, you see medical facilities, you see churches, you see a lot of things being built into the community because it's also sustainable now because of the water. So this is, this is a, you know, one of these uh, project situations where um, it's, a, it's a seed that they're going to nourish uh, in each area where you have a borehole or you have a, a well that's bringing fresh water. You're talking irrigation, you're talking um, f- potential to farm uh, and, and keep the the livestock uh, alive. Um, so it's it's, a, it's an amazing project. It's you know when you think about it it's like, well, duh, um, but these are things that uh, that take a lot of logistical planning. So be praying about that. Pray for rain. Um, we know that uh, there are uh, Muslim communities now up at the border near Garissa um, that are coming together in open prayer meetings. The Muslims are praying for rain. And what that. better opportunity can Christians have to come alongside and say, "This is the God who created the world, who sends the rain," <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. So we're praying about that,
0: the Bible is uh, is full of uh, of prayers like
1: that, and so
0: maybe turn today to some of those biblical prayers and lift them up for people in places in the world where um, where drought is choking out human life. Um, let us be uh, let us be praying for the rain to fall in. Um, in right measure uh, and in all the places where it is needed most. Um, Ruth, thank you so very much for showering us this morning with, um, with this good news of the way God is at work through his people around the world. We genuinely appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely. You can find what we talked about today and so much more at missionnews.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Beginning again, again. That's what I have in mind uh, right now. Um, Yep. We're going to talk about the former president of the United States trying to begin again, again. Uh, We're going to talk about President Trump officially announcing that he's running again. Um, We're going to talk about trends in the United States and around the world related to giving, even at a really extraordinary level. Jeff Bezos uh, has said this week, you know what? He's going to disperse his $124 billion in his lifetime. Wow. What do you have to give and how are you giving it? Where is God leading you to give the resources he has placed under your stewardship? Those are good considerations as we approach Thanksgiving and Giving Tuesday and the financial support of this ministry. You can always give online at myfaithradio.com. we got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next.